I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 4. We were in Acts chapter 4 last week, and we'll be in Acts chapter 4 again this week before moving along. I want to draw your attention to one verse, which we took a little bit of time to emphasize last Sunday morning, but I want to develop the thoughts here in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31 a little bit more fully today, especially in light of the proceedings of this day and what we have before us in the afternoon service. Acts chapter 4 Verse number 31, the Bible says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. They spake the word of God with boldness. If you study the history of God's people all the way back to the time of the apostles and all the way up to where we are today, one thing that becomes abundantly clear in your study is that the people who are disciples of Jesus Christ are also people who greatly value the Word of God. They are one and the same. The people who follow Christ are marked by their relationship with the Word of God. Now, Acts chapter 4, as we saw last week, is describing a very distressing time in the church at Jerusalem. Peter and John have been called before the council of the most powerful men in Jerusalem, and they have been threatened with death if they don't stop preaching and teaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, Peter and John are not able to comply with that demand. And yet they realize that if they proceed forward and continue to preach and teach in the name of Jesus, it's very likely that these leaders will follow through on their threat. They go to the Lord in prayer in Acts chapter 4, and they seek God's will and God's strengthening And the result is what we just read in verse 31. After they prayed, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now, I think we said last week in the message that one of the marks of being filled with the Spirit of God is that we will speak the word of God. What I want to really emphasize today in our message and really drive home to our hearts is this idea of what is our relationship to the Word of God as believers. We see this pattern being laid out for us in the book of Acts, not just here in Acts chapter 4, but in the chapters previous and in the chapters following. The Word of God is a defining element as it relates to true disciples of Jesus Christ. The response of these disciples is that they were focused by and upon the Word of God. And we'll see that the Word of God becomes the rule of their faith and practice. We like to say that the Word of God 
is our rule. That means it is a standard or a measure. When someone says, this is what I believe, or this is how I want to practice, or this is what I think we ought to do, we take out the tape measure or the standard of the Word of God and say, how does that measure up? Because the truth is that as God's people, we are called to be ruled by this book. Here in a little while in our afternoon service, Samuel will present his doctrinal statement. And that doctrinal statement, if you've already looked over it, will be derived from, thus saith the Lord. What does the Bible say? A person's doctrine is important because their doctrine usually determines how they will practice. In fact, sometimes people have a professed doctrine, but you find out what they really believe by the things that they do. As God's people, and particularly for those who are God-called men, we have a very important relationship to the Word of God. In the book of Acts, I find at least three things about our relationship with the Word of God that are very, very important. First of all, we find in the book of Acts that the Word of God defines what we believe. The Word of God tells us what we ought to believe. You'll notice in Acts 4.31, they are speaking the Word of God with boldness because they believe it. They cannot step back from these things because they believe the things that they are saying. This morning, let us find that the Word of God is that which tells us what we should believe and what we ought not to believe. Do you know this morning, you and I are not free to make up whatever we want to believe for ourselves? I I know we live in a day and age where the, the watchword and the prevailing doctrine is the theory of relativism. The idea that everyone can choose for themselves their own body of truth, and as long as you believe it sincerely and from your heart, then that'll be good enough, and that'll be your truth, and I can have my truth, and this person can have their truth. The Bible knows nothing of this. The Bible says there is truth. Truth is defined and declared by God. We are not free to choose our own truth. There is only that which God has declared, and therefore the Word of God defines for you and I what we should believe. Would you hold your place here in Acts chapter 4 and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's a familiar couple of verses. Many of you may have memorized these verses at one time. But I want you to see them with your own eyes this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. The Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We find that the scripture, that's the word of God, this book, is given by the breath or the inspiration of God. That means 
These are the words that God spake. These are not the words of men about God. These are not the words that men thought would best describe God. These are the very words of God given to us by holy men of God who were moved by the Holy Ghost. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable. That word profitable means it is good, it is worthwhile, it is beneficial. And you'll notice that it is good in the very first place for doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. It is the declaration of that which is truth. In other words, for you and I, when we want to know what is right, we come to the Bible and we let God speak into our life and declare to us, thus saith the Lord. The Bible defines what we believe. Now, what we find is that many of the things that are declared in the Bible as truth and as that which we should believe are becoming more and more unpopular in a world that is quickly diverging away from God's truth. This should not surprise us. Uh, We know that actually this is to be expected that The world will depart from truth, but what we must be careful of as the people of God is not to back up from that which we believe simply because it's no longer acceptable or popular in the culture around us. We must allow the word to define what we believe. There are times when people will ask me, make a defense of that position that doctrinal uh, assertion which you have made. Let our defense be chapter and verse. Thus saith the Lord. Explain it to me. Reason it out. Make it make sense. You know, sometimes the things that God declares as truth do not make sense to modern man's mind. And we must say, let God be true and every man a liar. Because the Bible defines what we believe. We don't always understand it. We may not always even agree with it in our heart from the sense that if we were imagining truth, we wouldn't have come up with that for ourselves. But God has declared it. And what God has said is certainly true. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 4 with these believers, this first church there in Jerusalem, who are speaking the word of God with boldness, you might be reminded that the thing that had brought them to the place of trial that they were even now encountering was their belief in the word of God and in the Lord Jesus. If they had simply said to the council, okay, we'll not speak in the name of the Lord Jesus anymore. I will not declare these things anymore. We'll go along with you men because you're the the religious leaders and we'll let you define what will be the truth for the people that we're speaking to. Then everything would have been fine between them and the council. Not between them and God, but between them and the council. But see, these men couldn't do that because for them, they had come to the place where they had seen Jesus... They had walked with Jesus. Their lives had been changed by Jesus. And they had come to grips with the fact that their life 
must be defined and the beliefs that they had must be defined by that which was spoken by God. Now, up until this point, the disciples had expressed repeatedly that they believed in the word of God. And I want you to understand that not only did they say they believed it, but they showed that they believed it. This is where the rubber meets the road. When you come to the place where what you believe is no longer acceptable. When if you continue believing and declaring what you believe, there will be consequences. What do you do with that? You know, as you look back over the history of our Baptist forefathers, it's called sometimes a trail of blood. And the reason that it's called a trail of blood is because those dear people believed those things so strongly that multitudes of them shed their blood because they wouldn't back up from the things that they said they believed. The prevailing church might have said to them, you need to have your your babies baptized in our assembly. And they said, we don't believe in that and we're not going to do it. And the, the church said to them, the prevailing religious organization, if you don't do it, then we're going to kill you and take your children away. And time and time and time again, our Baptist forefathers said, well, we don't want that to happen, but we don't know what else to do because we don't believe those things. We believe that baptism is for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Babies can't be believers in Jesus Christ because they don't have the capacity to make that decision. So we're not going to get our children baptized until they have trusted in Christ and become disciples. You know, that one doctrinal position cost countless millions of our Baptist forefathers their very life because they wouldn't back up from that which the Bible declares. May we be defined in what we believe by the word of God. God doesn't call us God doesn't call us to test the winds of public opinion and try to find out what everybody is going along with so that we can be popular. God calls us to put our face in this book and prayerfully seek out what God wants us to believe, and to let our life be defined by those beliefs. As Samuel goes to another place to labor, it'll be important for him to make sure that the Word defines what he believes. And you can't understand the pressure to change that until you've experienced it. Until you've been in the place of leadership And there's a promise of people joining the church. If only you'll change this. If only only you'll make this adjustment. If only you'll do these things to make us happy, we would come and join. And I'll tell you, it can be tempting. But that's not our choice to make. God has defined what we believe. Let us, as the disciples of Christ, as a New Testament assembly, be defined in what we believe by the Word of God. Not only do we find in the book of Acts that the Word defines what we believe, but we find, second of all, that the Word 
deciphers what we experience. Let me explain what I mean by that. In Acts chapter 4, the church was under great distress. They were being persecuted. They were being threatened. Yes, they were growing. Yes, many people were coming to Christ. This was exciting. What was not exciting was the fact that two of their most well-known leaders, two pastors of the church, Peter and John, are now under the threat of death if they continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which, of course, they believe that they must continue preaching. And so the church is trying to figure out what is going on, what is happening. You know, in this life that we live, there are many distressing circumstances that we face. Those distressing circumstances may be in the form of persecution that we face for preaching the gospel. Those distressing circumstances may be in the form of personal trials that we endure. Those distressing circumstances may be in the form of pressure that is exerted upon us to change the things that we believe. Whatever the source of the distress... This world is a place of stress. You know, sometimes when I'm reading about health and wellness, it's very common for me to read these articles that say, stress. Stress is a big contributor to your overall lack of wellness. So you need to eliminate stress out of your life. I'm like, well, that sounds nice. I wonder exactly how you're supposed to do that. I mean, because what they mean is take away any pressure, any difficulty, any problems in your life. Just get in a place where everything is just wonderful. Sounds good. I think we'd all like to live that way, wouldn't we? The truth is, you, you ask, now, how exactly does that happen? Now, if you're looking for a stress-free life as a believer, I don't know that Jesus ever promised that your life would be stress-free. No problems, any difficulties. Actually, I know that he never promised that. He actually promised that if you're going to be a follower of Christ, there's going to be some troubles and some difficulties. But what do I mean by that statement that the word deciphers our distresses or our, our difficulties or the perplexing circumstances that we face. What I mean is that sometimes we need to have those circumstances interpreted in our life. To, to come to grips with, why is this happening? Now, I'm not suggesting that God is always going to tell us exactly why a particular experience may have taken place in our life or why a certain trial may be taking place. Some of those things, I believe, are reserved for later. One day, we'll understand them. But what I do know is that what the disciples experienced is what we can experience. And that is the Word of God sheds light on the things that we face in our life. When the Bible says in Psalm 119 that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, what it means is that God's word shines light on the path so that we can comprehend where we're going. Now, a lot of times we may be looking for the five-year plan and God is just interested in putting light on the next step. And so we just need to take one step at a time 
But I know this, that God is in the business of giving light to his people through the word of God. Be careful about allowing the world's voices to decipher your experiences. Be careful about going to other places to try to figure out what is going on in your life when God has given you a more sure word of prophecy. That more sure word of prophecy, we're told by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, that we would do well to take heed unto it because it sheds light on what is going on in our life. Now, what happened for the believers in Jerusalem is that the word informed them that what they were experiencing at that time, the the persecution that they were experiencing, was expected. It had actually been prophesied, and it was actually all part of God's plan for the gospel to be declared. So even though it was difficult that they were facing persecution, it made sense because God told them it was going to happen. God told them it was going to be for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. God told them that they would find blessings in the persecution. And thereby, the word of God deciphered for them the things that they were experiencing. Now, for us this morning... The Word of God does not tell us that everything's going to be easy and fun for the followers of Christ. You know, it'd be nice if a man was called to the ministry and he could go to the Bible and find a promise that said, if you just stand up and faithfully preach the Bible, hundreds and thousands of people are going to flock to hear. You're going to see a church built and there, everything is going to be just so easy, and it's all going to come together. There's no promise like that in the Bible. Now, sometimes it does happen that way. But a lot of times, it happens more like Noah, who preached for over a hundred years and told people to get in the ark, and everybody just laughed. And in the end, the only ones he got in the ark were his own family. You see, we're not promised that there's going to be a huge response to the preaching of the gospel. Actually, what we're told is that in the last days, men will be lovers of their own selves. We're told that they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears because they won't want to hear the truth. So when we recognize that not everybody is warmly receiving the word of God, we don't chuck the word of God and say, let me find something that's more acceptable and something that people will get warm fuzzies over and come and attend. We say, we don't get to define what we believe to go back to the first thought. And the Bible told us that this would happen in the first place. The Bible deciphers the things that we experience. In the midst of these experiences, which are at times distressing, and certainly there are distresses in the work of the ministry. There are times of perplexity and discouragement. There are times when a man of God might look at himself in the mirror and say, couldn't I find something different to do? Couldn't I find something more enjoyable to do? Couldn't I find something more encouraging to do? But what you find 
is that in the midst of those seasons of distress, there are tremendous promises of hope that are given to the people of God, which is why we allow the word to decipher our experience. You know, all the world can really offer you is, it'll be okay. Everything will work out. Just believe. Believe what? Believe that everything's going to get better? Really? On what basis? On what authority? How do you know that to be true? Do you understand what I'm saying? Those are empty, hollow promises. But when God gives promises, promises about eternity, promises about rewards, promises about His abiding presence, promises about His comfort, promises about His enabling power, those promises, we can take those to the bank. And those promises will help us to decipher the things that we experience The word defines what we believe. The word deciphers the things that we experience. But third of all, and the culmination of these other two thoughts is this. The word demands that we speak. The word demands that we speak. In verse 31, the result of these believers being filled with the Holy Ghost is that they spake the word of God with boldness. That means they opened their mouth and they said, Thus saith the Lord. The book of Amos chapter 8 is a warning from God. In verses 11 and 12, God said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Do you know this morning... That there is a reality of a famine of God's word? Do you know that there are communities where there is no longer a Bible preaching and teaching church? Where people are believing and living by the word of God? Where people can say, thus saith the Lord, and point with authority to the scriptures? Do you understand this morning that there are countries where people have no access to the Word of God freely, where people have no comprehension of that which God has said. Do you understand that in our country, we live in a post-Christian culture? The vast majority of young people in our culture do not have biblical knowledge, do not know what God has said. Do not comprehend how to be right with God. Do not have any sort of a foundation or a background to build upon biblically. They are completely devoid of an understanding of that which God has declared. There is today a famine for the word of God. 
What people desperately need in this world is for the word to be opened, read, explained, and applied. People don't need theatrics. They don't need some kind of a drama. People don't need some kind of a show or a music program. What people need is the word of God explained and applied to their lives. People are desperately hungry for the truth of God in our world. And there are relatively few who are declaring with clarity, thus saith the Lord. This morning it's imperative that we as God's people, and especially those who are called by God as ministers of the gospel, would be speaking the word of God. What we find about the scriptures is that God, the Holy Spirit, uses the word of God to bring about change in people's lives. That's why the Bible is called the sword of the spirit. It is a two-edged sword that can divide asunder between soul and spirit. It can be a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Do you remember in your life, Christian, when the word of God smote your conscience and you recognized your sinful condition before God and you recognized that there was only one remedy for your sin-sick soul and that was in Jesus Christ? Do you remember the time when the word of God entered into your understanding and your life was turned upside down? That's because the word is the sword of the spirit. We don't need men's ideas or men's thoughts. We don't need to sell the latest bestseller for self-help and self-improvement. What we need is more of God's word. The Spirit uses the Word. Sometimes we're trying to figure out how to turn a phrase, how to be more eloquent, how to have a better pulpit presence, and what we really need is more of what God has said. Because it is God's Word that changes people's lives. It is also because of this that the world hates the Word of God. The world hates the Word of God. This book right here that many of you hold on your lap, this book is the most tried-to-be-destroyed book in the history of the world. The most powerful forces in this world, man-speaking, have lent their authority and their strength to try to destroy this book for literally hundreds of years. But God's word prevails. God's word continues on. Praise God, we still have this book. It's a blood-bought book. It is a, a book which is sprinkled with the blood of the martyrs. Remember that this world hates the word of God, and the reason is Jesus told it himself... Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You said, well, pastor, 
I thought you said the word of God is the sword of the spirit. Doesn't that mean that when you speak the word of God, people are going to be smitten with the word of God and they're going to be converted and saved and changed? All we have to do is speak the word of God? Well, yes, in some cases. And in other cases, some people will push violently away from the word of God. They will kick against the pricks and they will become persecutors of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they hate the fact that the light of God has shined upon their evil deeds. If we as the people of God are bold enough to speak the word of God, we ought not to be surprised that it could garner us some enemies. There's some dark things that go on in dark places in this world, and the Word of God exposes those things. But we can't step back from speaking the Word of God just because some people don't like it. Because what this world needs is thus saith the Lord. Now, I want you to just look again in verse 31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now, from this passage, I cannot prove to you where exactly they were speaking the word of God with boldness. And some might say, well, it seems like they were there in the assembly with the other believers, which is how we tend to speak the word of God with boldness, right? Right. This is a safe place. This is a place where the majority of you agree with the things that I say. Your head nods yes, amen, I agree with you. It's one thing to speak the word of God with boldness here to a chorus of amens and let it be so, and I agree with you, preacher. It is quite another thing to take the word of God out into the public and to lift up our voice and to declare, thus saith the Lord in the company of people who violently disagree with what God has declared. And yet, we have an obligation. I want you to think about something with me this morning. What if it is that we decide we will only speak the word of God here in this place, in in this auditorium, in, in this safe haven that we have? And if anybody wants to hear, they can come here. We'll invite them. They can freely come and we'll declare the word of God to them. Is that going to be sufficient? No, it's not. Now, we praise God for those who come seeking the truth and wanting to hear from the Lord and their hearts are open to what God is saying and they hear the word of God and their lives are changed and they are transformed by the power of God. Praise God for that. But for every person who comes seeking the truth in this holy place, there's millions who are out there who will never darken the door of a New Testament church unless someone goes to them and speaks to them personally and directly and shares with them the message, thus saith the Lord. For too long, many of God's true churches have said, 
if people want to hear the gospel, they're welcome to come and hear. But they've long ago stopped going to the community around them. They've stopped sending to other communities and other places where the gospel needs to be preached because they've said, well, we're doing what God has called us to do. We're speaking the truth with boldness. But they're not speaking the truth in the places where people most need to hear. When there is an epidemic of sickness, where is the medicine most needed? Is it most needed in the place where people are well, where they are walled off against infection? Maybe the people who've already gotten the sickness and recovered and have developed some immunity? No, that's not where the medicine is most needed. The medicine is most needed in the place where the people are the sickest, in the place where the people are desperate for healing. And I want you to think with me for just a moment this morning about the places in our world where the gospel most needs to be spoken. I want you to think about the people around you, the people that you rub shoulders with who've never once heard what Jesus has done for them. I want you to think about the people in your community, in your neighborhood, your family members, your co-workers, the people that you meet on a daily basis. Who will tell them if you don't speak the word of God with boldness? Now, the challenge this morning is this. You and I have an obligation to speak the word. You say, Pastor, I am not a bold person. I don't have that gift. I'm not wired that way to have conversations with people. You just don't understand. Actually, I do. I understand very well. The truth is, what we all need is a dose of the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. And not just one dose, but we need to continually be yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God. And I believe that we might find that in the midst of being filled with the Spirit of God, we would find the boldness that we desire to open our mouth and declare to a world that desperately needs to hear that there is truth. And that truth is found in the Word of God. This morning, here's the challenge. Speak the Word. Speak the Word. Many of you are not ashamed to be identified as Eagles fans. Or Philly fanatics. Or whatever. I don't want to get myself in trouble here this morning. Many people proudly display the things that are near and dear to their heart concerning the sports world or concerning uh, issues, political issues, which are very important to them. And I'm not suggesting that you can't have preferences and opinions and ideas, and I'm not suggesting that you can't express those things. I am suggesting that it would be a terrible shame for us as Christians to be known and noticed for our allegiance to a sports team or a political party, but not for our adherence to the Word of God and our loyalty to our precious Savior who has bought us with His blood. The question is, are you speaking the Word of God? Now, we're told in the book of Acts 
that those who were saved received the word with gladness. This morning, I ask you this question, have you ever received the word? Have you ever come face to face with the truth about your condition before God? And have you acknowledged that God is right and you are wrong? Have you recognized that you're a sinner desperately need, in need of salvation? And have you taken the remedy that God has offered? The only remedy, by the way, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which was made for you on the cross. Have you ever received the word? Have you obeyed the gospel, repenting of your sin and believing on Jesus Christ so that you can be delivered from wrath to come? Have you received the word? It's not enough to say, I've read the Bible. I've talked about the Bible. I memorized the books of the Bible. I, I, I could talk about some key concepts of the Bible. Fine. Have you received the Bible? Is the word engrafted in your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you received the word? Second of all, let me ask you this morning, are you being renewed by the word of God. You see, the truth is, when you're defined or your beliefs are defined by the word of God, that is going to remedy some things in your behavior. When you really believe something, your life is going to start changing. And my question for you this morning is, are you experiencing the renewal of the Holy Ghost that comes through the word of God in your life? Are you being challenged as you are confronted with sin in your own life, are you repenting and seeking to be more like Jesus? Is your mind being renewed by the precious promises and the assurances and the truths that are found in the precious Word of God? Have you received the Word? Are you being renewed by the Word? My third question for you this morning, are you repeating the word. I know you've heard it said before, but I'm going to say it again. For some people, you are the only Bible that they will ever read. And, and I don't mean by that that you should just live in an exemplary way and that will draw people to Christ. I believe you ought to do that. But we're also instructed very clearly in the scriptures that we have an obligation to express to others the truth of the word of God. We, we must open our mouth and declare to others that there is only one way of salvation. Amen. We must point them to Jesus Christ. We must declare to them the truth of scripture. They're not going to decipher it by looking at your life and say, oh, I think I figured it out. They might have some curiosity, and they might even ask you, but a lot of times they're going to be nervous about asking, and you've got to be bold enough to open your mouth and share with others the truths of the Word of God, because this morning, that is the hope that our world has. Amen. Multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision. Every day as we go about our business, we rub shoulders with people who are eternal souls and many of them 
are on their way to an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. They desperately need to know the truth that there is an escape, that there is forgiveness, that there is a remedy, that there is a way to be right with God. But if you don't tell them, who will? If you don't open your mouth and share with them the reason for the hope that lieth within you, how are they going to hear? The disciples were filled with boldness when they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the Word of God. Are you repeating the Word of God? This morning, I believe this is God's call. This is God's call for every believer. This is God's call in particular for men who are called into the ministry of the pastor or the evangelist, they ought to be doubly marked by these kinds of attributes. 